I'm so glad you joined us for another episode of School Nutrition Dietitian. Remember, we all grow by sharing. The only fee for this show is that you share it with others when you hear something useful. Hopefully, that will be every episode. Also, be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That really helps us out with dietitian here on a mission to show you fruits and vegetables can be super delicious. Eating healthy keeps you healthy on the inside. Keep your stomach satisfied and keep a clear mind. Now you're ready for your academics. Focus, time to handle business. Breakfast, you don't want to miss it. Help your body to replenish. Clean food, clear mind. That is the vision. Tune in to the School Nutrition Dietitian. Thanks for joining me, Kern. I know you're very busy, so I appreciate your time. For everyone who's not familiar with you, could you give me a little bit of a rundown of how you came to be in school nutrition? All right. Thank you, Dahlia. Um, my name is Kern Halls. I'm the chief innovator for Ingenious Color Concepts. And what our company does is that we help K-12 school food service program improve the products and services that they provide to their customers on a daily basis. Um, for myself, I, I kind of accidentally fell into a school food service. My background is I was in the military for eight years as a culinary specialist, then transitioned to Walt Disney World. I was a manager managing $18 million in, um, in sales at a restaurant at Walt Disney World. And then I just I was working a lot of hours at Walt Disney World, and my wife told me that, hey, there's an opening at, in school food service. And I didn't know what school food service was. You know, I was just, I was telling people I was just used to getting my square piece of chocolate milk and corn on a daily basis. And, and then, um, you know, I, I looked at the job because I just wanted to kind of create more balance in my life. And so I applied for the job as a training manager in Orange County Public Schools, which is the 10th largest district in the nation. Uh, at that time, it had about 175,000 students, had about 195 school sites. I applied for the job, got it. My job was to, to create more consistency within the school district because they're about to be taken over by a management company, and we had to figure things out. We had a, a director was there uh, about a year before I got there, and she said, "Come, just let's create some consistency and let's get some things going." I got a promotion within about a year to senior manager, um, and then my role. Change. I still had to do consistency uh, in training, but I now was in charge of marketing, special projects. I oversaw the secondary menu. I, I was also over the um, training team and culinary team. So it was a lot. And then coming to that role, brand new, not knowing what school food service was, I just started searching the country of seeing, okay, who's in a marketing position? Who has that marketing title? And I couldn't find, could find anyone. Even though I was a marketing major and a business management major, I had to kind of figure it out and build a plane as, um, as it was flying. And so I just started going to different conferences, doing a lot of focus groups with students. And I, I kind of thought I was on an island by myself, even though I try to contact, you know, neighboring school districts and people around the country. But it was unique because what I found out, school food service is totally different than any food service program that I belong to, from the military to corporate America. It's just unique, and it's just um, something that you have to learn and have to love in doing this because, you know, day-to-day has its challenges. You know, not only was I um, in charge of all those things, I also had to run all 23 of our high schools. So I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, this is a challenge for us, and also you give me the hardest segment in school food service to solve. So it was something that uh, it took some time, but we eventually started working really hard um, at it. 
when I got there, 18 of the 19 schools were in the red, weren't making money. Uh, participation was low. The food quality was really, really bad. And we had to try to get the trust to get our customers back in. So I like I tell and how I do with my clients, when I started my company, Genius Killing Concepts, after eight years of being in Orange County, I wanted to help people on a larger scale. And our premise is that we always start with our customers. We start with focus groups. We have over about 3,000 hours of focus groups. And we use that to kind of look at the data and see how can we take a micro approach to increase the student consumption. And how we do that is that we sit down with the students. We kind of see, you know, what are some of the barriers when you eating breakfast or lunch? Um, how does the, the customer service, how's the operations, how's the food quality, how's the menu? We look at all these different areas and then we develop a plan to, to execute. And one of the things that I found out that worked well for me and that works well for my clients is that we implement is that we don't go big. We, what we do is we try to go find one or two schools and do a pilot, perfect the process, and then we scale it from there. And that way, the frontline employees, the district office, everybody's involved, but it's not too much. And, and, no, and number two, it's not a big capital investment up front. So that helps our clients to have a little assurance that it's going to be, we're going to take it really easy. And I, I always use the term that this is a marathon and not a sprint. You're not going to be overnight saying, I'm going to go from 30% participation to 85% participation overnight because it's going to take some time to really talk to your customers and see exactly what you can do to get them eating in the cafeteria. Right. So when you work with your clients, you say you have them start small, pilot, and then scale, and that you've already collected like 3,000 hours of focus group data. Are you able to apply the feedback you get in some parts of the country to all parts of the country? Do you find that now that kids are more connected via social media, that they tend to go through food phases together as a nation? Or do you still find a lot of differences from one state or one county even to the next? Great question. So what we do is that even though we have a lot of focus groups, focus group hours, we try to see, we try and drill down and see what's unique to that area. Because if I do a focus group in, let's just say Georgia, and and we start building menus, well, the students in Georgia might love to eat, let's just say cheese grits. Well, that's going to be hard to sell in New Hampshire, right? Because they might eat oatmeal. So we still have to kind of look at the, the some. There's a lot of similarities, but then there's some differences. So we have to see exactly. You know, what's the wellness policy in that school? What's the, you know, it's a whole bunch of dynamics that you have to figure out and see exactly what's going to build a program really specifically for that school district. But we are seeing that some trends with students are the same across the board. So, for example, um, students do not want to wait in line. They want to hurry up and get their lunch or breakfast and conversate with their friends. So that's when, from an operational standpoint, we try to create additional point of sales where students can come in and get their their, their their meals, and they can sit down and, and talk to their friends from that standpoint. We see now that technology, when I first started school food service in 2005, well, technology wasn't as big, you know. MySpace was a happening thing, and then I saw the trend over to Facebook, and they started going to all these different social media platforms. And so what I try to inform my clients is that, okay, it's going to be really challenging to, re- to reach your students on through social media, but there's ways you can reach them in other ways that you can reach out to them and try to get them connected to the program. Because once you get them connected, they're going to feel like they take a part of it and it's going to help you increase your participation and um, get more students to you. 
What are you seeing as the most effective way these days to connect with the students? Is it still in person or activities like actually having those panels where they are part of the problem solving and part of menu development? Yeah, so it's a combination. So um, one of the things, one of the items when we come into our clients, we have a whole process that's, you know, let's just say one through 10. And you can't skip any parts of the process because connecting with the students nowadays is challenging because are you going to, we can send out tweets, we can send out, you know, Instagram posts, but are they really going to follow you? Are they going to follow you, follow that social media icon or that sports figure that's on there? Who are going to pay more attention to or follow their friends on Snapchat? So it's sometimes it's challenging to catch them unless you kind of have a, a promotion or something like what's in it for me. What I've found out that one of the best ways to reach them is that via getting connected via text, because this is a texting, um, of course, generation, um, texting, um, having promotions, and get them involved in focus groups and keeping connected. Then one of the most underutilized ways to reach students as well is guest posts, because students probably will not follow the school food service program. Their parents or loved ones might, but they will follow the school's Instagram, Twitter, um, account. They usually follow that because there's a lot of information coming out. So like I tell my clients, there's sometimes the best thing to do is maybe once or twice a month, you have to do a guest post and say that, okay, here are some of the things that are going on in your program. Not born to death every single day of what's on the menu because they can pretty much get it. You can use your texting service or you have an app in your school district that can use it. But you do that guest post that they'll start to see it. And then you connect what's in it from, we call it CTA. What's a call to action that mm-hmm. that student needs to do inside that, inside that, um, once they read that post, what is in it for them? If it's something simple as going into, um, going into the, um, cafeteria and I can eat lunch and win a $25 gift card or whatever it might be, because sometimes school districts, they're like, Oh, well, you don't have to budget to give away $25 gift card. I'm like, you have no choice. You have to set aside some kind of marketing budget to make sure you grasp these students. So what's a, if you set aside for the school year, um, $200 per school, well, let's come back to school. If they're generating revenue and they're getting the sales in there, that's nothing to give back into your program because nine times out of 10, you're going to have a five, six, 7% bump of participation. That's going to offset that amount of um, money that you put into the gift, um, into that, into your program. Oh, see, that's huge because that was the first thing that popped into my mind is people are going to say they don't have the money for it. So really, you can't afford not to. I saw on your site, one of your favorite quotes is that you can pay now or pay later. And the latter is always more expensive. So that totally ties into that. You just have to put the money in because if you don't have participation, you literally can't fund your program and there's no way for you to be successful. So that really makes sense when you explain it that way. And the what's in it for me question, I guess that is the basis of marketing. Pretty much you have to figure out what the pain points are for your clients and address that. So how did you figure out that wait times were an issue? Was that just from observation? Was that surveys or feedback that you've gotten in different parts of the country? Or how do you even figure out what is turning kids off from the program? Okay. And before I get into the wait time, um, I know individuals say sometimes we don't have the budget, but um, this is one of the things I always tell people, you have to get creative. 
if you're using programs that reward programs that they have in place, out now there are numerous programs that if you're buying product X, you can earn points to get gift cards or different prices. That's a way to utilize your resource that you have now. If you work, there are a lot of brokers and manufacturers that um, even when I was in my district, I created incentive programs. I said, okay, I will use your product for this amount of time. Can, are you able to, um, for every case you use, earn X amount of gift cards? So then that way it creates a, a win-win situation in that um, area as well. But with the students, um, the way that we got a lot of the data was send down and talk to students in focus groups. And then we sat down and talked to students, and the number one complaint is always long lines. Then, too, when I go on site to see uh, one of my clients, we go to the pilot schools that we um, deal with, and then I literally pull out my phone and I hit the stopwatch, and I see how long it takes to get through the line. So in some schools, I've seen wait lines of long as 10 to 12 minutes. I've seen one school else 15 minutes. Well, you only have a 30-month lunch, and you spend half your time in there. So students say, am I going to eat with you? I can hold off on eating an hour and a half, two hours, or I can come in with you. So we have to see how can we do that. And I've seen schools where we just open another card, open up another point of sale. Um, if they don't have money for another point of sale, you can take an existing register. If you have enough space, ask your IT department to do a splitter and put two registers there, two bodies, and that way you can speed the line up. And sometimes people say, well, I don't have the meals for labor hour. I always tell them to do a test. Start it for 60 days. Hire somebody for three or four hours and just see if you start seeing your sales, sales increase, which you will nine times out of 10, then you can afford to say, okay, you know what? I'm going to bring this person on full time to see it. And that's where we see a lot of the students just saying that, you know what? I'm not going to wait that line and, 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 and we're not going to um, eat with them because it just, it takes too long to eat with them because from the data that we've collected, students make up their mind and dive the program within the first two to three weeks for the rest of the school year. So you have to make you have to make a huge impact coming out the gate and making sure that you get through a service. And it's just like an adult. If we have 30 minutes for lunch and we leave work and the line at the restaurant or a fast food restaurant you're trying to go to is really long, you're probably going to bypass it and go to the, to the shortest um, um, line or a restaurant so you can get back and get to your desk and get back to work in a certain period of time. And that's the way the students feel. Right. That's a really good point. And a lot of people have extremely short lunch periods, surprisingly short. And by the time you drop your stuff off at the locker and get to the cafeteria, you're already looking at about 20 minutes left to eat. And what you mostly want to do at lunch is probably socialize. So it really isn't fitting in well with your plans if the lines are super long. So that totally makes sense. So texting and promotions and guest posts are good ways to get in front of people. Now, when it comes to the texting, do you have any programs that you recommend or are there any um, meal planning programs out there that use that well, that kind of have that technology embedded in it? Well, so one of the things is that uh, sometimes people are, are, are afraid to use it. And I always tell people, just start off small. Like for one of my clients, we started off just in one school and just perfected the texting, got it all done, and then made it more, you know, started getting, um, increasing it more and more throughout the school. It's something that you totally have to do because if you look at a lot of social media accounts, if you really look at the followers, you're going to see that majority of the followers aren't students. So it all depends on who they're trying to attract. A lot of times, if you look at it, it's other school districts following other school districts trying to learn what they can do better. And so very few have 
targeted audience where they're going directly to the students and the message goes to their students. A lot of them do a great job of reaching out to the parents, community members, and that's great to let it know, but what are you using to really get to the students? And that's the customer that you need to get to. And so, and it's not easy. It's just something that you have to work really hard. You have to be in the schools, but a lot of issues that, you know, and I, I just did a, a, a research and some data, collected some data, and the number one issue that people have for implementing programs all together or um, trying to do incentives is that they either have a challenge with funding or the second thing is lack of manpower. So they don't have enough hours in a day. And I get that because when I was in my position with everything on my plate, if a school ran out of gas or didn't have food, everything drops. No more marketing. You need to go make sure the students get fed. And then you have to start today over again at one, two o'clock to try to, you know, start work, get back on your project that you're doing. So I totally understand where people are coming from. So that's why I always tell um, school districts, if you can afford in your budget to get someone to help you out, even someone local that you can hire for three or four hours to come help you uh, to execute some of the items you have. If you don't have a consultant or whatever you can do, set aside a budget because I look at if you to hire, if you were to hire a, a graphic artist, a social media person, and um, another project manager, you're spending well over $100,000 a year in benefits and all those different things, but maybe you can get someone part-time that maybe can work three, maybe four hours, three times a week to help you execute your, your, your ideas or whatever vision that you have for your school district, and that helps you move you along, and that will cost you way less and um and the salaries and benefits. Right. I really think that's the wave of the future because it is becoming so expensive to pay for benefits that more and more people are moving into freelancing and then you can help districts that really don't have the budget to hire someone full time. So what are the key terms then that people should even be looking for if they want to outsource their marketing and they want to hire someone? Uh, as a consultant, I'm not even sure everybody really knows how to approach that since that hasn't always been a position that existed in school nutrition. How would you select a good candidate? So great question, because um, we have had multiple people that um, have asked us and called us, said, hey, I hired this consultant to come in. And school food service is such a niche business. You either know it or you don't. So you can't hire a consultant that's trying to figure out um, as, 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 they, as they work for you. So you would want to try to do some research and say, what is your experience? What can you do? Here's one of my, um, the, the, here's some of the challenges I have. How can you fix it? And you get that person that lets you know exactly what they can do and the time frame they're going to do it in and make sure you hold them accountable for that. You can also look at there's um, some great resources. A lot of directors retire if they have a great resume and they um, have moved the needle in their school district and done some things that are totally unique and different. A retired director, they don't need benefits. They really don't have to work for a whole bunch of money, but how can you work with me to get my district on board? Or like people call us all the time and say, well, we need some things that are cutting edge or different or innovative. So they would call us and ask us to say, Karen, Here's our budget. What can you work in for, uh, for this budget? And I think that's the honest conversation. And what I see a lot of directors, they kind of say, well, I don't know my budget, or they're trying to, you know, kind of be a little skittish about saying how much money they have to spend. Mm -hmm. But if you have a true, you know, a business person trying to work with it, you said, okay, I have X amount of dollars. Well, here are all the things you can do for X amount of dollars and get it going, but take it slow. So if a consultant comes to you and says, I want to make all this change in all 50 of your schools at once. 
I would kind of be kind of cautious and leery about that because it's going to really, it's going to be really hard to make that change and execute it fully in a school district. If you're trying to do that much, because at the end of the day, your frontline staff has to make sure they can execute it as well, especially if it's a menu item or it's a promotion. Everybody has to understand what's going on. It needs to be training involved. And if you've never done this before and all of a sudden you're dropping us on them, it's totally new. Right. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. I forgot about the directors that aren't working full time anymore. That is a great resource. So when you say you really have to be aware of the areas in which school nutrition is unique. So I know the regulations are unique and our constrictions as far as um, things being healthy are unique. But how else are we different from other areas of food service? Because I know with you having your uh, culinary background in the Navy and then also at Disney, like those are those seem like they would be kind of unique environments as well. What do you see that kind of sets nutrition apart from even those sectors of food service? So just coming out, so one of the biggest things that I saw, because coming from the military to Disney, it was, um, you know, kind of government, government, federal government to Disney. Disney had great innovation. They want us to think out of the box and do things that are unique and different. Um, when I got to school food service, it was kind of like, cookie cutter and this is back in 2005 where it's just cookie cutter where it's just this is what you need to do here's a reimbursable meal i'm like what in the world's a reimbursable meal then how are you kind of potato as a vegetable as a starch you know so these are all the things i had to kind of realize and learn so it took these months to really learn this and get really entrenched in it um so i literally before i told my boss like hold on you know what before i go any far with any marketing i'm going to go work in the school for a couple months I want to learn. I want to start washing dishes and just work my way up to being a cook so I can understand the whole process of what it does. And the uniqueness is it's just you have to feed students in a short period of time, and then you have the regulations. Um, now the regulations change a little bit more. And then I think those were some of the things that were kind of challenging for me at first. But the uniqueness, too, as well, is that is that how these the staff members execute this flawlessly on a daily basis. It's just It was amazing to me because... Um, you know, as you know, a lot of folks school food service and at the highest paid, um, they do a lot of great work, but they have a big heart and they want to try to feed these students on a daily basis. So that's what made me really fall in love with school food service. And that's what keeps me going as a, you know, as a consulting company to make sure I can help those staff members get those things going. Mm, I love that. So in the past, did you have any other entrepreneurial pursuits or projects or this has been the first area where you felt passionate enough about helping larger amounts of people that you decided to branch out. So I, I come from a family of entrepreneurs. So it's kind of like in my blood, my grandfather, you know, he basically was, you know, he was a brick mason. He had his own business building houses. My mom owned a daycare centers. Um, so I just, I, um, I just come from a line of entrepreneurs. So I started you know, at five years old, I started, you know, washing cars. By 10, I was, um, I had my, I was selling, you know, this is a really bad part, but I was selling candy in school <laughs> to the kids in school, right? <laughs> Didn't know about the rules and regulations. So it's one of my first deals I ever did. I remember when I was 10, I went to a local, we had a bodega here in Orlando, and I, I told the person, like, they had, like, this penny fortune gum. And it cost us uh, like a penny. I said, I want to buy the bag in bulk so I can get a better pricing. And he, he, the guy said, all right, I'll just sell it to you in bulk. 
And I mean, he sold for five cents. I bought it for a penny a piece, went to school and I sold out the first day, um, did that two more times, then worked my way up to blow pops oh, and wow. then started selling it. And by, yeah. And then it just started going so I could have some money. Cause we didn't, we grew up with not a lot of bunch of money. I just had to figure out how I can get this going. And then by the age of 13, I started my own lawn business in the neighborhood, just selling, um, just cutting grass on Saturdays to people in the neighborhood. Um, I learned about marketing. I knew which people were, uh, there were single women in the neighborhood that didn't want to cut their grass. So I would cut their grass and wash their cars. And um, after that, I started my catering business when I was a little bit older, um, you know, moonlighting on the weekends when I um, started in the school district. And then it formed in my company that I have now. So oh, wow. it was just something I always wanted to do. So when I go to my clients, I don't tell them, talk to them in theory. I tell them about practice. Right. Here are some of the things I think you should do because I've made a lot of mistakes and I've had a few successes with some of the things that I've done. So we want to tell them that this is all practice and not theory that we're trying to tell them what to do to do things that are totally out of the box. Wow. And that's a lot as far as your experience goes. I think a lot of people are afraid of failure because maybe they have always worked for someone else and there isn't as much risk involved. So fear kind of gets in the way of innovation. But if you've been putting yourself out there for that long, you've pretty much, you've already figured a lot of these processes out and you can share best practices with people so they can minimize their risk. It's not like there's no risk at all. And that's why you start small and scale. But to even know when you were a kid that there was such a thing as a target customer, to figure that out intuitively that, oh, it's the single women that don't want to mow the lawn themselves. That's pretty smart. That's very impressive. That's advanced stuff. I saw you have, I wanted to ask about your office therapist. I'm very jealous looking at the website <laughs> you guys have arrived. How is Daisy a boxer? What type of dog is she? Yes, Daisy is a boxer. She turned seven in July. So she's like the office therapist and she greets everybody. So um, she keeps everything kind of, when she's not sleeping, she keeps everything lively. And um, she's just a fun and joy to kind of, you be having a stressful day. She's always going to come up and just want to play and go for a walk or do something. So it's uh, she, she's really an asset to the company. Oh, that's awesome. It just really sounds like you found the niche for you and the joy that you experience at work really comes through in everything that you do. I know you came out to Bibb County to help us out with our director had a very specific vision for what she wanted our employees to experience during in-service and people still talk about how much they benefited from the training and it's been almost a year now. So to be able to have that type of impact and enjoy what you're doing, it has got to be awesome, essentially. Yeah, yes, yes, and, I, and we love doing this because you know um, I didn't say, but I I grew up a, a free lunch kid. So when I uh, another layer to this is that I understand what some of those free reduced reduced kids go through. I understand the paid kids. I understand that we try to stay connected as much as we can, so we know exactly what's going on. So when we come out and do training, we're just not sitting up there just yapping about personal business and experience. We're practitioners. We've won tons of awards for, for the things that we've done when I worked in the school district, where the, some of our clients that we work for, we work behind the scenes. They're featured in the school nutrition magazine and food director magazines. 
And I know that we've got a chance to even work in my school district before social media was the big thing back in 2005 to 13. Um, we got a chance to make an impact. So I'm happy to see that this article just came out uh, the other day. The food truck that we implemented back in 2007, it's still being shown in the media and certain um, um, outlets to this day. And I was really proud of that because we created something that was forward thinking. So we didn't want to do the traditional food truck. So we did something that was totally unique that can withstand uh, the test of time. And it's still being shown to this day. Students really love it. And it's making a huge impact in the community as well. That really is full circle because I, we, I think we qualified for free lunch one year, but most of the time that I was in public school, I was on reduced and things have gotten so much better, but like the biggest room in the world is room for improvement. So having people out there who are bringing innovations to the field to benefit the kids that we're serving now is something I love to see because I'm sure you can see that being well-fed set you up for success or at least was a part of that. And I mean, it's, I will not forget how different of an experience it is now than then when it comes to people being able to spot who the lower income kids were before that was, taken care of in the program. People didn't realize how shameful it was for some kids to come through with a meal ticket of a different color. And that was something that people, I guess, just failed to think about. But now that that's been resolved, what a service that is to our kids. And it's just a small thing, but just little tweaks like that are always happening and making the program better and better so that the entire interaction that kids have with the nutrition program can be 100% positive. Like that is the goal or at least like 99.9. So. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And, and the ones that what I would say the ones and the, the thing that was unique for when I was working at school food transposition and I was consulting is that I would say something to somebody and they're like, well, we don't do that school food service. I'm like, I really don't. Yeah, I understand we don't do in school food service, but let me talk about innovation and being ahead of the curve. So we, as a company, we look down the street and around the corner where no one can see anything and try to find those trends and the patterns that can really put you ahead of the curve. So when um, back in 2005, when I was seven, when I started doing the food truck, they're like, no one does a food truck. Why are we doing that? I was like, it's going to be another way we can do this before the food truck trend even started taking off. And that helped us a lot. When we started putting carts outside, um, a lot of individuals weren't using carts back then. I said, let's do carts. We did it at Disney World the whole time. Those carts were generating sometimes seventy-five dollars to $100,000 a day on those carts. Let's do it. Wow. And we finally did it in our school district. Within the second year, we were generating million, uh, $1 million in revenue off those carts. That's has an additional point of sale. And it's no different than the kiosk in a mall. Um, you see the you know different shopping centers or outlet malls. It's just using the same thing and do it. But the only people that I see are going to really take a chance and do this is the individuals that are willing to go against the grain. While everyone's going left, you're going to have to go, go right. Because I see sometimes that decision makers, they all kind of clump together and they tell a sad story of why stuff aren't working. But the ones that are really out there by themselves saying, you know what, we're going to try this. They're the ones that are having that success and moving the needle. And that's what you have to do. You have to really go out there on your own and do something different again. And that's why I say start small and scale. That way you can minimize your risk and you can learn as you go along. Right. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. 
So it sounds like it's primarily a mindset when people are not innovating and aren't finding solutions to increasing their daily participation. They just have convinced themselves they know why things are the way they are, and it just is what it is. Right. And then, you know, the second part is, you know, it's, you know, sad to say, but there's no accountability. So if I don't do anything, what happens? You know, if I do, yes, there's a benefit to the students, but if I don't, there's really any accountability where if you look on the educational side, schools, you know, from in Florida, we're based on grades. So if that school got F grade, well, that principal or somebody's going to be moved or they're going to have a conversation with their superintendent in school food service. There's not none of the accountability measures in place. So they can just do what they have to do. They might care. I'm not saying that they don't care, but there's no accountability to, there's no needle. So if schools where school food service were graded by grades, that would kind of force them to be innovative. So that's where on the educational side, teachers, principals, they're always looking for the next big, big thing or what can they do to implement um, different strategies to bring the grade, grades up inside of the schools. And we have to kind of follow suit and try to see what we can do as a program. Right. That makes a lot of sense. I know in our district, the superintendent is focused on applying the same standards that they have for the teachers and the principals to perform and to have actual numbers and metrics that they're following to see whether or not they're hitting their goals. He's applying that to all departments. And it has been a bit of a learning curve uh, being told that you need to have a plan for how much you plan on increasing your daily participation and having the steps set out and assessing throughout the year and making changes if you're not hitting those markers. So that makes yes, sense. Yes, and that's, yeah, and that's one of the things we operate with. You know, I had a great leader and my boss's boss taught us a lot about data and we didn't do anything unless we had action plans. We had spreadsheets. We had anytime we had a program, um, we had to make sure say, okay, where are we at with data? What's the potential? Um, we just can't operate and say, hey, we want to increase participation. No, we had to break down the free, reduce, what is potential for the amount of more paid kids eating or reduced kids eating. So if you had 75% of your free kids eating, well, how are you going to reach the other 25%? Or is it even worth it to go after them or just focus on the paid? So that's how we would structure our growth and make sure that at the end of those 30, 60, 90 days, we had to report back out and see where we're at with our goals. And then that was attached to our evaluation. Mm. And that makes sense. And it makes sense to break your target markets into different segments. So that's one thing I think is a little tricky about marketing in terms of school nutrition is that you have an audience where there's just so much diversity as far as age. Like you want to get your message out to parents, to students, to people who are higher income, middle, and people who maybe are a little bit lower income, how do you figure out how to focus your marketing efforts or do you just create plans for each segment? So that's a good question. So it all depends where you're at because sometimes it depends on the district and the school. So um, marketing to, let's just start with it. Um, paid kids that have low participation. So they're going to be totally different. So let's just say at a high school where you might have an opportunity for improvement. Well, they might have a, a little bit of income. So now you need to market towards them. Can you do all the card? Can you get more paid students? Can you kind of, kind of get the points where you can get more 
um, and having fresh coffee, can you have upscale meals? Like you want to try to figure out and see exactly what we can do to get this room going. And then you want to look for the, the high free kids. You want to look at them and say like, you know what, um, the three kids, we need to see exactly what's the type that not come through the line because they have no excuse because they are literally, literally can eat for free and what's stopping them. So we want to make sure that we can see exactly what we do. So we would market to them totally different in the standpoint of making sure that they let, they know, let them know that, 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 that the kids can get their meals for free and that we will talk to the parents. We want to talk to um, reach out to their friends and see if they can bring them in. Would it be a buddy program? Would it be a special on menu? Whatever it might be, we try to see exactly how can we market it for them. Again, that call to action, what's in it for them? Right. If they eat, they can get this prize or they get a chance to win this or that. or Whatever it might be, just kind of entice them because you have to market to them because there's no difference than what McDonald's or you know Burger King or any fast food chain is doing to get those customers to come in. Right. And I think sometimes the assumption is like if money is not a barrier, then what possibly could be keeping them? You think that you maybe have no competition at all if your meal is going to be free, but there's really always competition, whether it's just more free time for them to spend with their friends or that they could get something uh, from home, even if it's just a granola bar or something. It doesn't mean they don't have access to any food at all. They we still have to compete for their patronage as well. So, yes. And one of the things that, that I, the advantage that school food service has over another um, fast food or any restaurant establishment is that you have all the students, you have a captive audience because majority of school systems, they cannot leave the school. And so the great thing is that you have everybody coming to you. So now you just have to figure out how are you going to get those customers in? So this is for person that owns a restaurant this is a perfect scenario like everyone's here i have an option to get five from the students to come to my my business i just need to grab them and so that's where you need to try to take full advantage of of that and try to get those customers in and dine with them so you have to attract them and the one positive thing that that we also another thing that we have at school food service is that you have that service. So you have to have that service and a smile to get to know the students. I always talk about in my trainings that how are you going to connect with those customers? You should know their names. If they're there for three or four years, the staff should know their names. The students should know your name. So that's always stress having name tags on or having different different points of conversation that they can have. So we want to utilize those kind of systems and put them in place to, to increase participation. Right. And I think you really can't overemphasize that because even though people are more and more into connecting to people remotely and being on their mobile devices, there's a lot of research that shows people are feeling increasingly isolated and now quality customer service and really connecting with people and giving them FaceTime is becoming more important in response to that. So I think definitely our Gen Z students are really wanting that level of customer service and connection in most cases. So, and that doesn't cost anything, maybe some time training, I guess, but not a big investment. Well, I've got a lot of takeaways. Now, what would you say would be just two things you would tell people to do starting today 
if um, they're not satisfied with their participation levels or they haven't even looked at them recently? Just two action items. Um, if, they, if they haven't looked at their participation levels, um, I would definitely want to see it. Like where, where's the bulk that you need for your department? So I would pull my, my data, my information to see across the board, where do you need to set it? I would try to set a short-term goal and a long-term goal. So short-term goal might be like, I need to increase participation by, I don't know, let's say 5% this year, but within five years, you want to increase it by 20%, you know, and look at those different um, ways you need to do it. Then the second most, the second thing I would do is look at and say, okay, now where am I going to get my help from? Is it going to be within the school school district or is it going to be an outside source? Can it be consultant? Can it be someone that's great with numbers? Your finance department that says, you know, can you help me break this down? Because sometimes you have a lot of resources within your school district that can help you. Who's your CFO? Who's the person working in town that can help you break the number down? And then you come up with an execution plan. So, so number two is like kind of like two and two and a half. Like, and then you have an execution plan and actually go out there and do it. And that's our biggest thing as a company. We're about execution making sure that school districts can execute and make sure they get the items done. Because sometimes you can sit back and just talk about items. Then next, you know, the school year is almost gone. And then you got to start all over again. And this project is taking you two or three years. No, get started. Don't be afraid. Sometimes you have to put other things on the back burner and just focus and get more students eating inside your cafeteria. Oh, that's awesome. Can you tell everybody where can we find you on the internet and learn more about what services you offer? Great, great. Yes. Um, so you can, my website is, of course, www.ingeniouscc.com. That's I-N-G-E-N-I-O-U-S-C-C, like charliecharlie.com. Our number is 888-994-3476. And all our social media handles on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram is at IngeniousCC. So you can reach us at any one of those items, call, email. Um, you can even go to our website to sign up for our mailing list where you can get information and see our blogs that are um, sent out about once a week to once every two weeks. And you can call us for a free um, consultation. It doesn't cost you anything. We can talk and see how I can help you out. Sometimes we do a lot of districts, and we just help them on the phone for free because we're just in here to try to help and see and get more students eating. Man, that is awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, and I appreciate it. Oh, thanks. That's fantastic. That's like so. That's a lot of useful information. I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. Kern has so much information to share with all of us. I definitely hope to have him on again in the future. There's so many topics I would like to dig a little bit deeper with him on. Please join me next week. I'm going to have two people from my district on that have taken customer service as a marketing tool to all new heights. I think you'll really get a lot out of it. And please, if there's anything in your district that you would like to share with the rest of the country, best practice that's doing great things for you, uh, when anything special from your district that you think other people need to hear about, email me. That's Dahlia at schoolnutritiondietitian.com. Or you can find me on Instagram. That's schoolnutritionrd. See you next week. Mm-hmm.
School nutrition dietitian here on a mission to show you fruits and vegetables can be super delicious. Eating healthy keeps you healthy on the inside. Keep your stomach satisfied and keep a clear mind. Now you're ready for your academics. Focus, time to handle business. Breakfast, you don't want to miss it. Help your body to replenish. Clean food, clear mind. That is the vision. Tune in to the school nutrition dietitian. Woo.